When you enrich the lives of your employees through purpose-powered leadership, they'll grow your business for you. Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where you'll discover how to champion a culture of courage and love. Stop dealing with symptoms and get to the root of the problems in your business. This is the Higher Purpose Podcast with your host, Kevin Monroe. Hey, it's Kevin Monroe, and I want to welcome you to yet another installment of the Higher Purpose Podcast. This is episode 53, and it's a special edition of the podcast. In this episode, we're doing a deep dive on a topic that I believe is essential to living and leading with higher purpose. On numerous occasions, you've heard me say, purpose thrives in community, but it starves in isolation. Well, today's guest, Rusty George, recently released a book entitled, better together. Discover the power of community. Prior to reading the book, I didn't know Rusty. As I read the book, I felt like I got to know Rusty personally and enjoyed what he had to share. And there was so much of his writing that I could relate to of his journey. I'm hoping you truly enjoy this conversation and gain a lot from it that helps you be better together. So here we go with Rusty. Hey, it's a privilege to welcome Rusty George to the Higher Purpose Podcast. And Rusty, as we get started and launch into this conversation, I wanted to invite you to help us to get to know you. What's something that allows us to connect with you? Well, it's an honor to be here. Thank you, Kevin. It's really a joy. I guess what people need to know is I am a a middle-aged dad of two teenage girls, so heaven help us all. I just took my oldest to get her driving permit the other day, so that's going to be an exciting time. I live in California, and I'm a lifelong Los Angeles Lakers fan. I love sports. I'm learning how to golf, love music and reading and leadership books and podcasts like this. Well, Rusty, saying you're learning how to golf, you could have been playing golf for years. Right. You'll be learning, or you could have just taken up the sport, so which is it? Well, I like to think of myself as now I am golfing at least twice a month. So it's getting to be where I only lose about four balls around now. (laughs) And you've been a lifelong Lakers fan, but you did not grow up in California. I did not. That's an interesting story. One of my personality types and strengths is that I'm very, very loyal. I guess some would call that golden retriever on some of those spectrums. But all of my sports affiliations are with early orientation. So the very first game I ever saw on television was in the early 80s with the Lakers versus the Sixers. And Magic Johnson was running the court. And it was so amazing. I thought, that is my team. So I'm living in Kansas (laughs) watching the Lakers Little did I know I would one day live out here and get to actually go to games, which is so fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Rusty, as I mentioned in the introduction, one of the reasons we're talking today is this new book you've got out, Better Together. And I want to tee this up for those listening and tee it up for you. We're currently conducting this, what we call the Extraordinary Experiment. We're inviting people to participate in 13 simple challenges, one a week, and it's what we believe has the power to transform ordinary occurrences into extraordinary encounters. So we started week one was the awareness challenge, just encouraging people to be aware, and then the acknowledgement challenge, just to acknowledge someone in your path, and then the connection challenge, 
Well, after the connection challenge, I received an email from one of our participants, and it was somebody that I don't know personally. And we had invited people to connect with others who cross their paths. They may be strangers. It may be somebody you know, but you know, you're always plugged in and disconnected, so you never speak. But just to engage them in conversation. So this person had relocated to a new state where they didn't know anyone, and they sent me this email. So here's the excerpt. And I've changed a couple of things to ensure an anonymity, although they do know I'm using the question. So here's the quote. I don't know if you're familiar with the DISC profile. This reference is important because I'm a strong CS in the spectrum, which means I like facts and I'm also an introvert. I've been here for a year and a half trying to find a job as working remotely and traveling often back to some city in the Northeast is a bit complicated. As a result of the connection challenge, I realized I'm surrounded by many houses and many people inside them, and I know nothing about them or no one has introduced or spoken to me before. Before the challenge, I didn't acknowledge the fact that I actually had neighbors. I noticed on my way to the gym that red lights are now the quick phone break, and at the gym, everyone is focused on their phones while working out. So, This isn't their real name, but we could sign this isolated in Iowa. Rusty, is this encounter rare? No, it's not rare at all. And I think we're beginning to wake up to the realization that we are more connected than ever before, yet also more alone. I read recently that the United Kingdom has added a chair to their cabinet as a minister of loneliness. Mm. Think about that. They've actually made that a government position because of the millions of people in the UK that consider themselves lonely, they consider to be an epidemic. Let me give you an illustration, and it's going to seem unrelated, but I'm going to tie it back in. I heard an advertising executive say one time that McDonald's years ago decided to start marketing their yogurt parfaits as a healthy alternative for people that wanted to eat there. What they noticed was people would choose McDonald's because of the parfait and they would still order the Big Mac. (laughs) So they went there thinking they were going to eat healthy, but at the end of the day, they got what they always got. Or they got the parfait and then just ate all their kids' fries. So I think that what you saw there in that illustration is we thought we were getting one thing and we ended up getting another. Mm. I think the same thing is true with social media, with our internet connectivity. There's an allure or a um, almost like a mirage that we have this community. I have a thousand Facebook friends. I have a thousand friends on Instagram. I'm constantly texting people and talking to people. Yet at the end of the day, who knows you? Yeah. Who knows you know your deepest hurts and pain? And then when you have that moment where you're in need where you're looking for a job or your child is sick or you need someone to give you a ride to work or whatever it is, who really is in your life? Who do you really know? And unfortunately, all these scenarios that this listener that wrote in talks about are things that make us feel like we're connected. And for those of us that are, you know, addicted to achievement, we're texting people back, making phone calls, getting things done. We have this sense of we got something accomplished, but in the end, we're still alone. Hmm. Does that have any reason with the motivation of why you wrote the book? What prompted Better Together? Better Together comes out of my own issues with this concept. I am a self-proclaimed introvert. 
And I just gain energy from being alone. Extroverts are just the opposite of that. And so I typically decide to solve most of my problems in my own head. And I went through a season of my life a couple of years ago where I had enough experiences where people burned me or were disloyal to me. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm a highly loyal individual. So if you're not loyal to me, then that's a fate worse than death. I'm so bitter by that, that it pushes me away from people to the point where I was content to say, you know what? It's me, my wife, our kids, our dogs. That's it. I don't need anybody else. I don't want anybody else. I have social interaction at work. I keep it surface level. I can even shop online. I can have stuff delivered to the house. I don't need to have friendships <laughs> like I'm always telling people maybe they should. And so what happened was, is I dove deep into myself. I read books on me. I took personality tests. I went to a variety of doctors for a battery of tests. I joined gyms, I got trainers, I changed my diet. I went through about a six-month process there where everything I did was pretty much just focused on me. Mm. At the end of it, I was more isolated and I was more empty than ever before. And I think the realization that came out of that was the one thing I've not tried is community. Mm. The one thing I've not tried is talking about this with somebody else. And I don't mean someone like a, a counselor, which I, I highly recommend, but that's kind of a rent-a-friend, you know? I wanted an interaction with somebody who could say, me too, and I've been there, and I had that. I was talking with a guy over lunch, and I was just kind of walking through my own personal misery, and rather than him telling me, hey, suck it up and move on, he shared a personal story of his own of personal misery, and something happened in that moment where I felt like somebody gets me. And it was this shared experience that made me realize maybe the way to fix me is found with we. Mm. Okay, so Rusty, there's several things there I don't want to lose track of and come back and unpack a little bit. One of these, you were talking about you and your family and going into this me, myself, and I, and, you know, we'll have great community with us. I heard you say that many of us, quote, choose the easiest reality to believe and build a case for that. <laughs> That's what we do. We go, okay, I need community, but community means something different for me today. Right. Well, I think for those of us that are easily frustrated, which I think is all of us, <laughs> you get enough people in your life that hurt you or annoy you or bug you. You just assume nobody gets me. Nobody likes me. Nobody's good enough for me. Everyone's an idiot. And so you just retreat to the people that you are closest to and you define your reality as this is enough. Mm. I've got my kids. This is enough. I've got my spouse. This is enough. And then you build your case mentally for, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. I think the problem is, is then there's a long-term effect on that that begins to play out. One of which is if your spouse is the only person in your life, it sounds romantic. It sounds like a movie. You complete me, right? <laughs> the problem with that is, is you're beginning to place a responsibility on them that they cannot carry on their own. And eventually that weight begins to break them. And eventually you wake up one day and think, well, wait a second, you don't get me. You don't understand me. You're an idiot. <laughs> and then you feel like, well, then I am completely alone. So this reality that we've created ourselves is one out of defense. It's for safety. 
And then we wake up and realize it hasn't helped us. So another comment you made earlier, and it's kind of what we started with in the email I was sharing, you talked about you did extensive amounts of self-discovery. But I remember reading in the book, I thought this was a great line, that there are limits to what you can discover about yourself in isolation. And there's some things you only discover about yourself in community. What, what does that mean? And what's something you discovered about yourself in community that wasn't congruent with what you thought you had discovered in isolation? I think when you go through self-discovery, you put your thumb on the scales. <laughs> <laughs> there's a person you want to be. And if there are discoveries you make, they tend to always lead to you feeling better about yourself. Oh, well, this is the reason I am this way. They give you permission, so to speak. Oh, this is why I'm a jerk. This is why I'm arrogant or whatever. And then you tend to overlook your blind spots. When you have other people in your life that have the permission to point them out, then you're almost forced to have to deal with them because somebody else has noticed them too. If I see something on a personality assessment that tells me I'm a control freak, I can turn that into, no, I'm a leader. (laughs) (laughs) But if I have people that are following me on my staff come to me and say, you gave me this task and then you did it for me, then I realize, oh, I guess I am a control freak and they know it. So being in community allows us to have our blind spots exposed, but then accountability to address them. Okay, so in the book, you're honest about your struggles to connect with people as an introvert, a control freak, a perfectionist, which is something I do want to come back and talk to in a few moments. Rusty, I love your vulnerability, and I found it very interesting based on your profession, which we have yet to interject into this conversation. So what is it that you do for a living, Rusty? I am a pastor of a church out here in Southern California. Okay, so pastors, too, have challenges connecting with others. Pastors, too, can isolate. Is that what I hear you saying? Absolutely. And I think in some ways we're the worst at it. Hmm. I use this phrase sometimes of I have drive-by friendships. Yeah. What I mean by that is on a given Sunday morning, I can shake a thousand hands and I can walk through a room pretty quickly And I can think I know that guy's first name. I don't know anything about him. I don't know his wife's name, his kid's name, his profession. I know his first name and he's been coming here for years. And I can have this allure to, uh, I think I've got a friendship there. But reality is I don't really know anybody, nor do they know me, or they only know what I choose to share with them. So pastors can be the worst at it because we can confuse ourselves with, I'm busy, or I've got a lot of people that I text with or that I have responsibility for. But at the end of the day, how many have we let in to know who we really are? And I think this isn't just true for pastors. It's true for all leaders. We feel like if we're at the top of the food chain, we have to be perfect. We have to have it all together. I just read a Harvard Business Review from years ago called In Praise of the Incomplete Leader. Mm. A great read of how the quickest way to be a better leader is to admit you're not perfect. (laughs) You have to have other people around you that can fill in the gaps, right? And haven't we been hearing that for probably 20 years of all of our inadequacies and how we need others? But the reality is, is we fear if I bring in someone else to take up, you know, the differences or make up for my incompetencies, they'll take my job or people will think I'm not worthy or won't follow me anymore. What I've discovered, especially through writing this book, is the more vulnerable I become about my own weaknesses, 
the more people are drawn to me because they think, oh, he's just like me. Hmm. He deals with this just like I do. And then we find more community in that process. Hmm. How do you define community? I think it's people in your life that know who you are and aren't afraid to, to call you on it. And people that you're willing to serve and have those people in your life that you can know what their junk is as well. Okay, so you said something a moment ago. You said something that I want to ask you to connect dots that I saw connected in the book. You talked about vulnerability. We have a lot of people being way too vulnerable with everybody in the world. So let me go on the internet and let me just be vulnerable and disclose something very personal to everybody. But you made a distinction between being vulnerable with everybody and being not connected to anyone versus really being close to a few. Unpack that. I found that very powerful. Well, I think what social media has done for us is it allows us to have this perception of vulnerability because you vented for a while. The problem is, is all you've done is kind of, you know, poke at the hornet's nest a little bit and share a little bit about what you're feeling, or you've only shared some of the story. Um, If I go on social media and talk about how distraught I am over whatever's come out of Washington or how happy I am about whatever's come out of Washington, I've only shared half of the story. I've not shared why I feel that and what happened to me in my past that caused me to feel that and my greatest fear if that continues. And the problem with just having those kind of surface level kind of social media interactions or even conversations in the grocery store or in the driveway with people, if it's just at that level, then no one knows who you really are and the why behind it. And so I try to build the case for you don't have to be vulnerable with all, but you do have to be vulnerable with some. You have to find one or two people that know who you really are, warts and all, and they know everything about you. And that can be a composite of two or three people that know all the details that really can speak truth to you and that you'll listen to. So the line that I read, I thought it was a great line. Instead of trying to be partially honest with everyone, be fully honest with a few. Right, right. I think that's the big change for me. I can go to a lunch with somebody and I can find two or three things about them that I connect with and go, you know what, we're just alike because I think that way too. But we're not just alike. There's more differences, but I haven't shared those. I can be in a social setting with my wife or at a dinner party and I find a few things we have in common with some other people and make conversation for the night. But have I found somebody that I can talk to about, you know, I just went through Father's Day. It's my first Father's Day without my dad, passed away in September. So how have I talked about that with anybody? Are they listening to that? Am I feeling like I can be vulnerable with them? And what I think is even more important than that, have I found somebody I will listen to their vulnerability? Because this isn't just about me. Mm. It's about finding people that I will sit down and truly listen to, not listen waiting to speak, but listen sometimes just listening and hearing and saying, I may not even understand all of that, but I understand how that has impacted you, and I'm here for you. Mm. And that's where the connection begins. Mm. Okay, we're talking to Rusty George, and we're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Rusty to go deeper about this idea of expectation and the frustration with that. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Remember, if you ever think that your work could be less ordinary, there's not much between you and something extraordinary. Just 13 weeks and a bold experiment. Find out more at 13weekstoextraordinary.com. So we're back. I'm talking with Rusty George, actually Pastor Rusty George, if you missed that. He's the author of Better Together, and we're having this delightful conversation. And Rusty, before we started recording, uh, I had shared a quotation from Shakespeare that expectation is the root of all heartache. Does that apply to some of our challenges and disappointments with community? And then you had another take on that quotation as well that I hope you'll share. Yeah, I think it does. And the way I've always heard it is expectations are prearranged resentments. <laughs> and you think about when you go home, all right, you're driving home, you have an expectation as to how that evening should go. Mm-hmm. And the moment it doesn't, like I said earlier, I have two teenage girls. So um, when I come home, the only people that greet me are the dogs, all right? Everybody else is busy. Or, the dogs, right? Yeah, exactly. So I have an expectation in, in that moment, I can immediately be angry or disappointed because I didn't get the greeting that I saw on television or that I assumed everybody else is getting. I have an expectation at work as to how things should go. I go out to lunch with somebody, I have an expectation as to what will be accomplished and what they're going to do for me. And you have expectations in your marriages as well as to what you expect that other person to do. It's just prearranged resentments because inevitably everybody is going to let you down. And I think all that does for us is it pushes us away from community. So rather than walking into a relationship thinking, what can you do for me? It's simply changing the conversation to what can I do for you? Mm. When I go to lunch with somebody and I say, tell me how I can help you out this week. Tell me how I could pray for you or support you or encourage you. And then I take the time to open up my you know, notes app on my phone and actually write it down. Wow. It blows people's minds that I would care that much. And then to follow up on it in a week, it does a couple things. One, it cements that friendship, that relationship that's being built. But it also takes my eyes off myself. Mm. And I stop focusing on all that I don't have and learn to figure out what I do. Okay, a couple of other things you've already talked about that I want to unpack more. And one of those, you use the word truly listening. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I've started this by talking about this, you know, the extraordinary experiment. A couple of weeks ago, it was the listening challenge. And I think the biggest takeaway that most of us had is we say we're listening, but we're not really listening. Mm -hmm. And you referenced the quotation I first learned from Stephen Covey. Mm. where we're listening with the intent to reply, not the intent to understand. Mm -hmm. In community, listening is essential? I think it is. And I found that if you can somehow find the patience to ask three questions after somebody has spoken, you can ask questions like, tell me why that's important to you. Help me understand this a little bit better. What do you think the result of that will be? First of all, it impresses that other person that you actually care. And two, it helps you understand who that person really is. Especially for us guys, we're so centered on fixing problems. that When I come home and my wife says to me, this happened, this happened, this happened, I immediately come up with a project list of here's what needs to happen to fix all this. And you know, her response is, I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. So that simple act of listening, asking questions, being inquisitive, Sometimes it goes a whole lot further than actually 
you know, solving the problem. I remember one time when I was first training to be a pastor, one of the things that pastors do is they visit people in the hospital. And so I go to the hospital and I have this conversation with this guy and I think, I'm not sure if I'm helping him in any way. And so I'm debriefing with another pastor later on. And he said, you know, when you're in a difficult situation, like you're in the hospital, you're undergoing tests, maybe you just got some bad news or you're not feeling well. The only thing people remember about your visit is two things, presence and prayer. (laughs) He says they only remember that you showed up and that you prayed for them. And that's it. They don't remember the wise words you gave them, Mm. what you empathize with them because you've had this before. They don't remember the silly anecdote you gave them. They just remember you were there. And I think a lot of that is true in our relationships. It's just the intentionality of our presence. That's kind of a variation of what Maya Angelou said, right? People may forget what you said or what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Oh, that's good. You know, just that being present, that connecting Mm. um, and truly listening to someone is one of the most generous acts that Mm. we can offer another. Exactly. It's such a rare thing that it happens so rarely, Rusty. Right. I I thought of a book. It was a book on social policy that I read a few years ago. And it was talking about how community was different in the 1800s. The rich and poor lived in the same town, the same section of town. They would pass one another. So, you know, they actually knew who were the recipients of charity. But now we have these, what we call often community is neighborhood. Mm. And we have this planned neighborhood Mm-hmm. Where I'm not sure if there's a lot of community or planned communities is what they're called. And I'm sure some of those actually lead to real community. But what's the difference between an organic community and these planned architected communities? I think two things help out tremendously. One is inviting people into your home, not just the community pool or out in the street. Mm-hmm. And the other is eating together. Mm. Something happens when you have a meal with somebody that takes it from a quick cup of coffee into a lunch, a dinner, an evening, and the conversation is just allowed to go to another level. And that always happens with, you know, every conversation kind of begins the same. Who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? And then it moves into a little bit more of kind of, well, why is that? And what stage of life are you in? And why do you feel that way? And how'd you get this way? It just takes time. And so planned communities simply put you in proximity. Okay, so I'm around people that make the same amount of money that I make. That might be in the same life stage that I'm in. We all moved here for the schools or the community pool or whatever it is. But then when you decide to engage and move into a living room situation, or a backyard around a fire pit. Now we have an opportunity for conversation to take it to another level. And that's where the community moves from being planned to being purposeful. Hmm. You're a pastor. You've seen the impact of consumerism, both on church and community. You care to comment on that? Consumerism, while it's great for the economy, It's so difficult for our relationships because we're simply assessing people and situations as to how will this benefit me. Hmm. 
And I mean, you've all had those experiences where you're sitting or you're standing in a room talking to somebody and they're looking over your shoulder for somebody else to talk to. <laughs> they're trying to figure out, is there somebody better here that I need to speak yeah. with? The same thing happens with, you know, you're at lunch and somebody's texting, you know, somebody else while you're trying to have a conversation with them. So the consumerism mentality seeps into our relationships, even to our friendships with our closest friends and even to our family, where having a conversation with my wife, but I'm also talking to three other people on the phone through texting. So that consumerism says, I need something better. I need something more. Mm. I need a better upgrade. I need a better experience. This is not enough. And as we're saying, you know, whether verbally or just, you know, implicitly, you are not enough to me in our conversations that breaks down community. And it just makes us not trust. When I'm sitting at a lunch with somebody and they're on their phone the entire time, mentally, I'm thinking, okay, I only have this for 35 more minutes and then I'm done. And I probably won't be with this person again or schedule this again. It shortchanges the relationship. Yeah. So I do a lot of leadership work, Rusty. And one of the things I love when I'm in a leader's office and we go to have this one-on-one conversation, I watch what they do before we start talking. And I'm intrigued and impressed by the number that are deliberate with how they put their phone away, Hmm. turn their phone off, or turn it over because that simple act communicates something very profound. It does. It does. And now we have the watch where (laughs) (laughs) people can look at it while they're talking to you. And what's so funny is I hear people say, well, it's better than looking at your phone. Well, is it? It looks now like you're checking the time to get out of here. Um, How much longer do I have? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All those things send subtle messages. I heard on a podcast, I think it was Donald Miller. He was interviewing somebody and they said that when you meet somebody, whether you know it or not, the instinct is to look at people's hands. And it's kind of like this primal thing. Like when we were, you know, struggling for survival, we'd look at people's hands to figure out if they had weapons And his point was, if you're a speaker and you go out on stage, don't start out with your hands in your pocket. It looks like you're hiding something. So think about that in terms of our phones and all of that. If we walk into a meeting and you're holding your phone or looking at your phone, all that is is sending a signal. I've got someplace better to be than here with you. Mm. So uh, a couple of other things I want to make sure we get in before we go, but I want to pause on that just a moment. So I want to invite you listening to just really reflect on this a moment. What are you communicating to the people around you as you go throughout your day to day? Are you communicating that what you're saying to me is really important and you have my full attention or you're a distraction from something else that's more important. And for Mm -hmm. us to really have community, we've got to be in this together. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of work around purpose. And I heard myself say this. I don't know if I'd ever thought of it before, but purpose thrives in community, but starves in isolation. So your whole book was better together. I believe you would say there's several things that starve in isolation that are better together. Just a couple of those, list a couple of those for us. You go into them in the book. I think that we all are trying to find ourselves. And if I can quote Jesus, when you find yourself, you lose yourself. But when you seek to lose yourself, you find yourself. When you choose to serve others first, to make them your priority, you are building community that benefits you in the long run. 
I think that our efforts to heal our wounds from the past die in isolation. In other words, they get worse. Mm. So when you engage in community, if the 12-step groups have taught us anything, it's that, that we need each other. We need to relate to one another. They do very little problem solving in those meetings. It's just more of, hey, we're in this together. You are not alone. So you just got to engage with other people for that. And even when it comes to perfectionism, we all have a legacy we want to leave. We have stuff we want to get accomplished. We want to do various things. Uh, we think the only way we can do that is by ourselves. And so we think if it's meant to be, it's up to me. I got to make it happen. I'm going to go get this done, right? And so we focus on, on that when really the team gets there a whole lot better. The team gets there a whole lot better. And I heard a story from a guy in our church out here in Los Angeles. We have a lot of people in our church that work somewhere in the movie or TV industry, whether they're running lights or sound or whatever. And I asked him one time, I said, tell me about a director you worked with that was really difficult. He wouldn't tell me the person's name, but he said that the director would say, are we ready? And if somebody said, no, I don't have the lights ready, he'd fire them. (laughs) (laughs) So here's what they decided to do. Every time that he said, are we ready? If they weren't ready, then an individual would say, the team is not ready yet (laughs) because he wouldn't fire the whole team. And in that simple act right there, I learned a lot about, you know what? We win and lose together, and we most likely win. And there's that team element there that helps us get the job done. And sometimes not exactly the way you would have done it, but you think about it. You just saved a lot of time, frustration, and mental energy by allowing someone else to do it than you would have uh, ever done on your own. Hmm. So you're a basketball fan. Listening to you, that reminded me of Coach Wooden. It takes 10 hands to Hmm. score a basket. That's so true. And he's legendary out here, definitely. We take his words pretty seriously right underneath the Bible. (laughs) So what's a suggestion for a perfectionist longing to live a more connected life in community as one yourself? Yeah, I think for me, it's acknowledging that I am and then kind of making a list of the things I'd like to accomplish and the things I would be content with being good enough. Hmm. there's got to be some things you just have to go, you know what? That's good enough Hmm. to walk away at the end of the day and say, it's not perfect, but it's good enough. And maybe there's some things on the list that you say that has to be perfect. But then taking that list to somebody else and saying, am I wrong on this? Did I get the right importance put on these things? Can you help me with any of these? And let me know what your list is as well. And I'll help you also in doing so we share the responsibility. Hmm. All right. So circling back to where we began, Rusty, this person that wrote an email expressing their struggles. I'm sure a lot of people listening, just, you know, the statistics would weigh that this is a true statement. This does not take massive levels of insight to recognize that the United States could also use a minister of loneliness, as could Canada, as could Australia, the UK where we have listeners. So for someone that's just feeling so isolated and alienated, how do they take a step towards community with managing expectations at the same time? I would say take 30 days and ask for nothing. Expect nothing, but only seek to help others. Hands out. That's right. To simply go out and when you're walking through the office, Mm. Ask people, 
hey, can I get you anything? Do you need anything? How can I help? Now, we all fear the moment I do that, someone's going to take me up on that, and then there goes my day. It's less likely than you think. When I get up from the couch to ask my wife, can I get you anything while I'm up? Mm. To ask my kids, how can I help with your homework? To ask my neighbors, anything I can do for you while you're out of town. And when you're on social media, maybe you don't post anything. You just simply comment on other people's posts and you just encourage them. If you have a, you know, a faith background, maybe you just post, how can I pray for you today and start taking requests. Turn your focus outward. And I think you'll be amazed how many quick connections you will find that could turn into actual friendships. Hmm. Great, great words of wisdom there, Rusty. And it reminds me something. I did read your book. I loved your book. And I tweeted you over the weekend from the book. We're never more like Jesus than when we are serving. Right. Right. That's when we are most godlike, most Christ-like, serving others. So how are you better for writing and sharing the message of Better Together? What's it done for you? Well, it's maybe more intentional about it. Now that I got the word out there, people are holding me to it. <laughs> I say yes to more dinner opportunities. I think it's just been a great, you know, thing for me to to just hold me accountable to this is not a one-time event where I had a difficult season and I found some people that helped me, but really recognize there's everybody out there has a difficult season. There's somebody going through one right now. Mm-hmm. How could I be that community for them? I can't be everything for everybody, but I can certainly be something to someone. So how can I do that? And seeking to help somebody out along the way just makes me more intentional. Mm-hmm. All right, so we have something to share. There's an opportunity for people that are interested in Better Together to do something together. And what is that, Rusty? Well, I am creating a Facebook community page where once a week, starting in August, I'll be leading a discussion through the book. And so I'll get to talk a little bit about the story behind the story, but also some things that I've learned through that process and hear what you guys are learning from the process as well. And we'll get to be in community as we talk about community. So if you just go to my Facebook page and through the public page, you can join the community group. It's real simple to do. Or you can go to my website, pastorrustygeorge.com to do that as well. Or you can also, I have a lot of blogs and podcasts with people about this subject matter and that might be of help to you. All right. Well, Rusty, thank you so much for joining us today. And I can tell you that I am better. I am being encouraged to be better together because of your book. So thanks for sharing your time with us today. Well, Kevin, thank you so much. And thanks for what you do for so many leaders. All right. I really appreciate Rusty joining us and being open and vulnerable, transparent to talk about some of the challenges he faces as an introvert and a pastor. I have another friend that's been in that similar situation, and we were talking about how it's easier to be on stage in front of thousands of people than be in small group connection with a handful of people. Maybe you can relate to that challenge. I appreciate Rusty calling out the challenge of consumerism, that so many of us, we look at the communities we're connected to, and rather than digging in and engaging, as he said, We feel we have a need for something better or something more. So we allow that consumerism to be the excuse for not connecting to community, but continuing to shop for a better community. 
And then I enjoyed the insight about planned communities. You know, we have so many planned communities springing up all over the place. Planned communities put you in proximity. Engagement is what fosters genuine community. So I really want to encourage you to make sure you're connecting to a community, both physically and in person and virtually. If you're looking for a community online, please join us at the Higher Purpose Community. We've got over 600 people now from around the world connecting together to encourage one another in the pursuit of purpose. Hey, Rusty's publisher was kind enough to give us copies of the book. So if you'd like a copy of Better Together, I'm going to invite you to tweet. Tweet me at Kevin underscore Monroe. Say, I heard Better Together on the Higher Purpose podcast. And then we'll connect and get your address and get you one of those books. Hey, I appreciate you joining me. Thanks for being part of this week's conversation. And until we connect again, I want to encourage you to live love, and lead with purpose. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Remember, if you ever think that your work could be less ordinary, there's not much between you and something extraordinary. Just 13 weeks and a bold experiment. Find out more at kevindmonroe.com slash extraordinary.